0: If you have your Bibles, grab those. We'll be in Nehemiah chapter four. Nehemiah chapter four, and uh, <clears throat> we have been in this series on the favor of God for several weeks now. I think this is week number four. And uh, Nehemiah is one of my favorite books. I, uh, as a young man, had never really heard of Nehemiah. And in our young married class, we studied the book of Nehemiah, and my jaw just hit the ground and was there for the entire series. I am just captivated and and awestruck by the story of Nehemiah and all that God did. And so we've been talking about this favor of God. What, What does it look like to pray for and ask for the favor of God? What does it look like to come before him with a broken heart and a humble spirit and cry out to him and have him hear your prayers? Nehemiah had heard word that the the walls of Jerusalem were still broken down and that the people uh, were unable to rebuild them and uh, the city of Jerusalem was a disgrace to the nation of Israel and his heart was broken and he started to pray and he started to fast and he started to ask God, God, what is it that you want to do? And God laid on his heart, Nehemiah, I want you to rebuild the wall and Nehemiah said, God, if I'm going to rebuild this wall, I need your favor to be upon me. And he asked and he prayed for favor of God with the sight of the king. And we talked the first couple of weeks about what that favor looks like and the fact that having the favor of God in his life meant that he had supplies. He had a blank check from the, the king to take whatever he needed resource. He had letters to get him safe travel from there to Jerusalem That when he got to Jerusalem, he had the authority to rebuild these walls, and everyone had to go along with what he said because King Artaxerxes gave him that authority. When God's favor is on you, he starts to open doors and allow things to happen that wouldn't happen otherwise. I put in your notes, and we've had this there for several weeks, living without the favor of God is like taking a trip without map or supplies. Living without the favor of God is like taking a trip without a map or supplies. It's like going to Florida but never seeing a map and knowing how to get there, and you're just kind of guessing on the way. And we know how men are. Men don't like to stop and ask for directions, and so chances are you're going to end up in California or Texas before you hit Florida. And taking off without God's favor is like taking off without supplies. Can you imagine trying to take a trip of that length without having gas money, without having reliable transportation, And yet some of us go through life without asking for God's favor and without seeking God and following his direction. And quite honestly, we're wandering and roaming around life without a map, without directions, thinking we've got this figured out, thinking this is pretty cool, wind in my hair, going through life, life is good. But we're frustrated because we don't know where we're headed, we don't know where we're going, and we don't know when we're going to get there. And our entire life is lived in frustration Because we don't have the favor of God in our life. So my prayer for us in 2020 as a church and for a community is that we would seek God with a broken heart and a broken, humble spirit. And would find his favor, find his direction, find his leading and calling in our lives for 2020. Today we're going to talk about God will fight for you. Last week we talked about when you are in God's favor That you will come under attack. And Tobiah and Sanballat had come up with a plan and they were harassing and, and claiming that they were going to attack the children of Israel. And they were going to attack them and that they were going to kill them and that they weren't going to be able to do it. And we talked about all that that looks like. And if you did not hear that message, I encourage you to get online to Facebook Live or get on our website and look it up. It's on there. And watch that. It's an incredible story of what it looks like to have this attack, to be under this attack. And the attack will happen physically, it'll happen spiritually, it'll happen mentally. And the attack will come from the enemy. And, and well, how do you do when you're under that attack? Well, today we're on the backside of that conversation where while you're under attack, what's gonna happen? And how are we going to make it through? We just sang several songs that talked about God's love for us and talked about how that that God says who we are in him, that we are strong and we are able and we think that we're weak and we think that we can't stand and he says, I see something different in you. And as he is talking to the children of Israel, the Jews living there in Jerusalem, he starts to show them how he's going to intervene on their behalf, how he's going to fight the fight for them. So we look at this passage of Scripture, God reveals to them what it looks like. The, the crazy thing is that they're halfway through building the wall. They're only about 26 days into the build, and all of a sudden they hit the mental wall. They hit the point where they're like, oh, I can't do this anymore. Constantly, people are coming up to them and saying, Tobiah and Sambal is going to kill you. The Arabs are joining them. You don't know when it's going to happen. You'll be building a wall, and an arrow will hit you in the back. And you're just scared to death, and you're, you're looking down, and you see all of the rubble, and you see all that's taking place, and you're just like, oh, this is too much. Halfway through, in only 26 days. It, this is, that is a miracle in and of itself. These walls are, are, are huge. Remember I told you last week they're 8 foot wide, a mile long, and uh, I think the final height is going to be around 26 feet. Um, they built higher on other kings and later on in the history. They were, ended up being 3 miles long later on in, in history, but at this point in time, about a mile long, 8 feet wide, Thirteen, they're thirteen feet high right now. That's incredible, and you think they would be high fiving and partying and excited and woohoo! Look at us. And they're discouraged, and they're defeated, and they're scared. And Nehemiah stops and looks around and shares with them what God has laid on his heart. Nehemiah chapter 4, starting in verse 10, we're backing up a little bit. Last week we're in 10, 11, and 12. Um, We're going to back up there and then head on through. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10 says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. They're giving a report to Nehemiah. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also our enemies said, Before they know it, or see us, we will be right there among them, and will kill them and put an end to the work. And then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over wherever you turn, they will attack us. Verse 13. Therefore, Nehemiah says, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And after I looked the things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And when our enemies heard that we were, that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each of us, to our own work. And from that day on, half of the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. And those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded a trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. And whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continue to work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars come out. And at that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve us as guards by night. And workers by day. And neither I nor my brother nor men nor guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapons and even went, and even when he went for water. Ooh, stinky, right? (laughs) We backed up to verses 10, 11, and 12. And the threats continue. The threats continue. The work is being done and everything is going, but the threats continue. And what we notice is that they're exhausted. They're halfway through the wall and they are exhausted, mentally, physically, spiritually exhausted. And here's the thing that we find out about the enemy, that he attacks you the most when you're tired. He attacks you the hardest when you're exhausted. You ever wonder why you do some of the stupid things you do? And then you look back at it, if you're, if you're honest. Do you guys ever get honest with yourself? And, no. and, and you look back and say, why did I do this? I know better. I, I had no desire to do it the other day, and now all of a sudden I did this thing. Whatever the thing is. And when you start to evaluate it, you realize there's a moment of tiredness, a moment of exhaustion, a moment of weakness, and the enemy whispered in your ear, and you said, okay, and did this thing, whatever this thing is. He attacks the hardest when you're exhausted. And these guys were halfway through the wall, and they were spunt. They were exhausted. They looked, and they saw all the rubble. And and that's funny to me because there isn't any more rubble now than when they started. It's not like someone brought truckloads of rubble and threw it down beside the wall. No one brought extra debris and threw it out there. It's the same debris that was there when they started. Matter of fact, it should be less because they took some of the stones, reused them, cleaned them up, and, and put them on the wall. And so actually, other than the wood for the gates that would have been burnt, there shouldn't be any more debris than was there in the beginning. Matter of fact, it should be less, maybe half. And yet, when you're exhausted, what's it look like? Oh, how am I going to do it? Have you ever noticed that when you get a good night's rest, that thing you saw before you went to bed that looked impossible in the morning was easily done? you ever noticed that? You go to bed, you get a good rest, you get up and those dishes are easily done. You just take care of them. Or maybe it's a job you've been working hard at and you get up the next day and, and you're exhausted when you went to bed that night and you get up the next day and you're able to keep going and you're able to work on that project and to finish it. The night before, you looked at it and you said, man, I only got two more hours. If I just stick it out, I can do it. I can do it. And phew, you can't do it. You're too exhausted. You try, but you can't. The rubble isn't anymore, but it feels like it is. And they looked at the rubble, and they looked at all that was there, and they, they were just distraught. And they were in a mode of wanting to give up. Verse 12 says, they made matters worse that the Jews living outside Jerusalem kept adding to their fear. (laughs) Nehemiah's getting fed up. He's like, ten times over, they keep coming up and telling us that you're going to die. They're going to come and kill you. (laughs) You ever have someone who just won't stop nagging you? (laughs) Everyone's looking at their spouse. No, I'm not talking about that. Right? You ever have someone who just keeps telling you it ain't going to work? Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to fix it. Ain't going gonna, ain't gonna to be able to finish it. You ain't going to make it. They're going to kill you. And you're just like, oh, you're so done with it. You're over it. You're just like, guys, shut up. Either kill me or shut up because I've had enough. <laughs> I mean, just quit numbing me to death. Quit gnawing at you. Remember we talked last week about the bully has no teeth and they're just gnawing at you? Quit gnawing at me, man. It's just either kill me or shut up. I'm tired of hearing it. And they're at this point where Nehemiah is like, man, there's just over and over and over. Enough already. And the people are in this position where their hearts are broken. They feel like they can't go on because the attack is so heavy. And then verse 13. In your notes. But don't be afraid that God will fight for you. Don't be afraid. God will fight for you. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall, the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. They're complaining. They're hurting. They're exhausted. He says, I'm going to call an emergency move. We're going to put protection there and just I got to have time to evaluate the situation. And he puts people there to make sure that everyone's okay. And he steps back and he looks at what's going on. Verse 14, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember. Isn't that that awesome? Guys, don't be afraid because I want you to remember who God is. I want you to remember what God has done. I want you to remember what God is capable of. Remember, guys, that God will f- is a God who loves you and cares for you. He is great and awesome, and he will fight for your families. He will fight for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Number one, don't be afraid. God will fight for you. In this moment when you're going through these tough situations of life, Whether it's something in your marriage, whether it's something in your work, whether it's raising your children, whether it's your neighbors, whether it's the country we live in, whatever you're going through, understand God is able to fight for you. And He will fight for you, and He'll fight for your sons, He'll fight for your daughters, He'll fight for your wife, He'll fight for your homes. Guys, don't be afraid. I know they said they're going to bring swords and they're going to sneak up on you. They're going to attack you when you least expect it. Don't be afraid. I've got this. What would happen in our lives if we stopped being fearful of the enemy because we knew that God was able to deliver us? What would our lives look like if we stopped being scared of what might happen because we know who's sitting on the throne? (laughs) Is our God bigger and badder than them? Yes. So why are we scared? Is our God sitting on the throne? Yes. So why are we scared? Is God sitting up there biting his fingernails? Oh no, Tobias and Ballard are so tough. No, (laughs) no. You are. He's not. He's not afraid. He is capable. And so don't be afraid. Our God will fight for you. In whatever situation you're going through, understand that if you have the favor of God in your life, he will fight for you. Does it mean that everything goes the way you want it to go? No. No, it doesn't. Does it mean that when it's all said and done that you'll be victorious in him and through him? Yes, it does. Whether that victory is in eternal life or whether that victory is here on this earth or whether that victory is in the moment, we don't know. And I would even say it doesn't matter. Because when it's all said and done, we are going to be victorious in Christ. Number one, don't be afraid. God will fight for you. When the enemy has threatened you to harm you, don't be afraid. He'll fight for you. Second thing I see when this passes, verses 15 to 18. There is power in taking away the enemy's element of surprise. There's power in taking away the enemy's element of surprise. The one good thing of the nibby-nosed neighbors who kept coming and telling them that they're going to attack you, going to attack you, going to attack you, is now that you know the threat, now that you know what's coming, you can do what? Prepare yourself. The worst thing is when you don't know something's going to happen and it happens and it takes away your breath. You don't know something's going to happen, and it knocks you off guard and, and takes you by storm. takes you off your feet and you're laying there like, "Oh." In football, there's this thing called the crackback block. I was a little guy when I played. I weighed, on, you wouldn't believe that now, would you? I used to weigh 135 pounds when I was a senior, 5'11", 135 pounds. I was a little tyke, and I played wide receiver, and uh, I couldn't catch the ball very well. I blamed the quarterback because he couldn't throw very well, but I don't know which is real. Here's the thing. When I would be playing, my favorite play, and it was, it was legal when I played, was a crackback block. Because I, at 135 pounds, could hit another guy who weighed twice my weight and take him off his feet and knock him on his tail. And I loved it. It was the coolest thing. When you're watching film and someone does one of those blocks, everyone in the room goes, ooh, ah. Right? I mean, it's just, whoa, check it out. Because the guy doesn't know what's coming. He's running down, and he's, he's looking at the runner, and he's going to tackle him. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you come and hit him blindside and knock him on his can. And he's like, oh. But see, if he knows you're coming, and he weighs twice as much as you, what happens? <laughs> he knocks you on your can, right? The element of surprise, once it's gone, that guy who weighs twice as much as you is not afraid of the block that you're going to set. He's not afraid at all. And what happens with these guys is now that they know the element of surprise is gone, now that they know the attack is going to happen, they got nothing to be afraid of. And matter of fact, it says that because God took away their threat, that they were frustrated. That once again, God intervened on their behalf, and now Tobiah and Sambal are frustrated Their element of surprise is taken away, and the enemy is losing his chance to attack. It says there that we all return to the wall, each to our own work. When God had frustrated their plot, they all went back to work. Before this, before the prayer... Before Nehemiah had stopped and taken a look at what's going on, before he had set up the reinforcements on the lower part of the wall, the thought of all of these Jewish men and women was, oh, no, we're not going to make it. Oh, no, they're going to kill us, and this wall isn't going to be finished. I'll die for a good cause, but I will not die so that this wall can't be finished. It makes no sense. I don't want to be a martyr. I That makes no sense to me. And so before this moment, they were afraid, and they were ready to stop, and they were ready to walk away. But now, after Nehemiah's prayer, now after Nehemiah's taking time to look at the situation and start setting up reinforcements, and now that God had stopped their plans, it says we all went back to work. What was about to stop and what was about to end and what wasn't going to make it now all of a sudden is going to happen. That marriage that's on the rocks, God is rebuilding it, reinstating it. That relationship that is broken, God is healing it and rebuilding it. Those moments and situations where you thought it could never happen, God is intervening on your behalf and favor is starting to take over and the enemy is starting to walk away. Last thing, and we'll close with this, verses 19 to 23. Number three, stay united, for you are not fighting alone. Stay united, for you are not fighting alone. My God is going to fight for you. He said when... I want you guys, this is a long distance, this mile. We're spread out a mile around this city, and you guys are spread out. I want you to have a trowel in one hand and a weapon in the other, and I want you to get to work. I want half of you to stand guard with your weapons and the other half to work. And, guys, listen, because we're spread out, if things get tough, I'm going to blow the trumpet. And when I blow the trumpet, I want you all to run to where that trumpet is, and we're going to fight. And then he says this other these other words, I will blow the trumpet, and wherever you are, you'll come and join us. Verse 20, and our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. Number three, stay united, for you're not fighting alone. Your brother and your sister are standing beside you with a weapon, and they're going to fight with you. Your God is going to come and intervene on your behalf and going to fight for you. Guys, we don't have to be afraid of the enemy when we know that God is fighting for us. Pastor Jim, why in the world would I do this project? Why in the world would I try to attempt this in my life? Pastor Jim, I'm an alcoholic, and all my life I've tried to quit, and I've never been able to quit. Why in the world would I start now? Because your God is able to fight for you. You're not fighting alone. Pastor Jim, my marriage has been a wreck, and I have not been able to fix it. Don't worry about it. God is fighting for you. You become united with your wife. You start working on it. Don't worry. God will fight for you. Pastor Jim, what if? Pastor Jim, what about? Pastor Jim, what if? Pastor Jim, how? Don't worry about it. God is going to fight for you. You get back to work and you work on it. You may have a a trowel in one hand and a spear in the other. You work on it. It may not be easy. It may not just instantly happen, but God will fight for you. God is fighting for us. Nehemiah chapter 4 is so powerful because it's in that moment when they determine to take a stand, when they determine to persevere through all that is happening to them, that God shows up and declares don't be afraid. I'm going to fight for you. Don't be afraid. I've got this. Whatever you're going through, if you've come to him with that broken heart, if you've come to him with that humble spirit and you've been praying for his favor and his favor has shown up and he's shown you the direction, he's shown you what it's going to be, in the middle of what you're going through, do not quit. The wall's only halfway done, don't quit. The project's only halfway done, don't quit. The calling's only halfway done. Don't quit. Someone said to me, Pastor Jim, what is God's retirement plan? Death. (laughs) I'm honest. There's nowhere in Scripture that says that we get to retire. Now, we retire from our jobs, and I get that. We never retire from sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others, ever. Whether it's sharing it with a great-great-grandson or sharing it with a neighbor, we never retire. Eternity is retirement. And that's a whole other discussion. What does eternity look like and what we we'll be doing and, and all of that. But eternity is where we stop doing what we're doing here on earth. Eternity is when we stop worrying about these things. For now, we fight to the end. We never quit. We never give up. For God is fighting for us. And the victory will be here on this side or in eternity. But the victory is coming because God is fighting for you. I don't know what your wall is. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's been broken down in your life and has been so destroyed that it is an embarrassment to you. It is an embarrassment to those around you. It is so bad that that people just hang their head when they see it. I, I don't know what it is in your life. Whatever it is, God wants to rebuild it. Whether someone's harmed you, hurt you, whether you've harmed or hurt someone else, whatever that broken wall is, God wants to rebuild it. And sometimes it takes a trial in one hand and a spear in the other because the enemy will come after you and he'll threaten you and he'll whisper in your ear and he'll take those gums and he'll gum you and he'll come after you. But I'm telling you, that God will fight for you. When you hear that trumpet blast, God's rallying the troops to fight for you. I'm going to ask Pam and, and the ladies to come. In this series on God's favor, it is easy to quit halfway through, whatever it is, <laughs> college, Marriages, relationships, jobs, it's easy to quit. It is so easy to look at the rubble. It is so easy to blame your coworkers and your bosses and and all those around you. It's so easy to blame the environment. But man, if God has called you to that, if He has called you to whatever that is, don't you quit. Don't you give up. His favor is upon you, and he will fight for you. Will you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? If you're here today, and maybe the wall in your life is your relationship with God. It's been broken down since you were little or been broken down later on in life, and you haven't been walking with him, and your wall, when you look at it, it is just nothing but rubble. You have sinned so greatly against God that you can't even imagine him loving you the way we told you this morning that he loves you. And yet here he is saying to you, come on home. If you'll just confess where you're at, if you'll just ask him to forgive you of your sin. Nehemiah chapter 1, he cries out to God with the sin of his family and the sin of himself and asks God to forgive them. And God hears that. That's where you're at. You say, Brother Jim, pray for me. My life is broken. My relationship with God is broken, but I want it healed, and I want it to be rebuilt. Would you pray for me as I make that commitment today? Anyone? Raise your hand. Say, God, heal me. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Maybe Maybe you're a believer, and it's some other things that have happened in your life, broken down walls, whatever it may be, and you're just saying, God, today I hear you, and I know you're going to fight for me. And because you're going to fight for me, God, I will never stop. I will never quit. I will persevere. Because I know that my God is for us. And if he is for us, who can be against us? And if that's your heart's cry today, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor Jim, pray for me. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. I see those hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you saw the hands of those whose relationship with you is broken, but they want it healed. And they're confessing their sin now, and they're asking you to forgive them of their sin, and they're asking you to make them whole again. And, Father, you promise that you will heal them, you will repair them. Father, you said by Jesus' stripes we are healed. Father, I believe that's spiritual healing of our salvation. And so, Father, I pray for those hands that were lifted, for that healing to take place right now, for that wall to be rebuilt, and that relationship with you to be strengthened, and to be all that you desire it to be. Father, for the rest of us that have raised our hands saying that we have broken walls. And we have areas in our life where we want to quit or give up. And you've commanded us to, to keep on going on. That we see your favor. We know your will and desire, your plan. And, and Father, we're committing today that we won't quit. We will persevere. We will not stop. We will fight the fight you've called us to do. The Father, we realize that all around us are hurting people who need to know and hear the love of God. And we're here today to say, by your grace and by your might, we will fight that fight. We will take that walk. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.